HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef. Available on the internet at hearstranch.com. Once again, it is Thursday and one o'clock and you have tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. And today we're taking a little trip up to Western New York. We are on the line with Steve Blabach and Aaron Grimley of Root Darn Farm. Steve and Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks a bunch. It's Thank you. Great to have you guys on. What what's what's shaking over on the western side of the state? It's kind of gloomy and cold here. It is definitely that here as well. Uh, but we're lucky. We spend a lot of time in the greenhouse this time of year, which is usually a little warmer. Awesome. So you guys run a as as you say on your website a CSA project in the Greater Buffalo area. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what your operation looks like and how you guys got started. Sure. Well, we. Um we started last year with our first year uh, with our own CSA business. Um, this will be our second year, and we, are, we uh, doubled from last year. We had 50 members that bought into the farm, and this year we have 110 members that will get produce um, once a week for about 22 weeks throughout the growing season. Um, we, we both have been working on farms for the last five, six years, apprenticing and uh, interning on different um, organic farms all over the Northeast. And uh, this was just our, uh, our, that was our learning process to get going in our own situation. Yeah, so that's, I mean, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is this kind of next generation of farmers, both in the Northeast, but kind of across the U.S. There's been this real push um, from the USDA, you know, on down to kind of local land conservatories to really support new, the new face of farming. And neither of you guys come from a farming background, is that right? That's correct. Um, I kind of I grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, um, just kind of in a suburban neighborhood. Um, Steve grew up out in the country, outside of Binghamton, New York, um, and his dad actually owns a hundred acres. So he had uh, more experience, just kind of uh, like a homesteading experience that his parents had. Um, but no, neither of us had ever had any farming experience until after we both graduated from college. So did you study some type of agriculture in school, or how did you guys get turned on to growing vegetables? 
Well, I, I actually have a marketing degree. Uh, so when I graduated, I actually realized I wanted nothing to do with my marketing degree. Um, so I decided I wanted to put my efforts towards um, some sort of nonprofit endeavor. And backwards through all, you know, a few different years, I even served in AmeriCorps for two um, different years, I, I, I found farming. And uh, the first farm, the first CSA farm, I should say, that I worked on is the year that I met Steve. Okay, so yeah, it was I, love on the farm. Yeah, well, maybe for me a little more than Aaron at first, but <laughs> I, I actually I actually have a degree in um, urban planning and land management, and I so I got into farming by trying to save open space, um, and I realized that I loved farming the land more than um, working to preserve it through other means. So uh, that's how I, I got into farming, and then we got into the whole apprenticing on farms to learn how to do it instead of just trying to set out on our own. And so, you know, if you're if we're looking kind of back in time when you you guys were on that first farm and kind of starting to make that decision about maybe this is really a, a life and a lifestyle that we want to pursue in a little bit more serious way, how did you decide, you know, where to apprentice? apprentice Apprentice, whew, next, and, and can you talk a little bit about how you found the places where you ended up apprenticing and maybe any advice you might have for, for couples or um, young folk like yourself who are interested in pursuing that career but want to get a little bit more experience under their belt? Absolutely. It's all, it all there's so many different ways to, to uh, work in agriculture, and it all comes down to what you're interested in. So when I started out, I knew I wanted to be uh, to grow vegetables, and I wanted to be around livestock of some sort. And I literally Googled uh, organic livestock and vegetable farm, and the farm, the first two farms that came up when I put that in there, um, I actually worked on both of those farms, one in Rhode Island and then one in the Hudson Valley, New York, Hawthorne Valley farm. So the way I went about it was I was just, if I, had, if I was interested in something, I would look for a farm that did that at, um, as, part of their, as part of their business and then see how I could fit into their operation. Okay. And how about you, Erin? Um, well, like I said, I was um, very intrigued by working for nonprofits. And I ended up working for a farm outside of Baltimore that donated everything it produced to other charities. Um, and when I found out about what CSAs were, that's when I decided I, w I really wanted to work on a farm that had a CSA to see if it would be something that I would be interested in. I did something similar to Steve. Um, I used ATRA, the website, um, just to search for farms that way and just found, uh, found what I liked. You know, um, the one in Rhode Island that we met on, it was a very diverse farm. It's called Simmons Farm. Um, they, you know, had a C have a CSA, but then they also milk goats and um, raise broilers, turkeys, uh, pigs. So uh, that was that's how I found that, and I, I kind of had that nonprofit itch to me still. And uh, so the year after that, I decided I was going to work at a food bank farm, uh, which donated. I think the year we were there, they have a large CSA, but they also donated something around two hundred thousand pounds of food to the area food bank. Wow, that's great. So when it came time and you guys decided that you were ready to kind of make a go of it uh, on your own, how did you go about finding, you know, a, a space to farm? 
Uh, well, that was, uh, we were actually farming in Vermont when we decided to um, farm together long term. And so we started looking for potential areas to farm in. And uh, it's a wonderful thing, but on the eastern side of New York State and in Vermont and Massachusetts, there's a lot of this kind of farming going on already. And we felt like we wanted to try to um, push the boundaries of, or, you know, move this kind of farm into new areas. So that's what we started looking in western New York. I have uh, quite a bit of family in this area, so I was interested in, in moving to around this area. And um, there's CSA farms in this area, but each farm is different, and we feel like we do things in a different way. So kind of we were looking for a, an untapped market was part of it. And um, obviously, good good land, and um, and we ended up out here in Buffalo. So the oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, we um, moved out to Western New York um, to work on a CSA, and as we were here, we also, you know, were keeping our ear open for different land opportunities. And when we specifically landed here in in uh, the Clarence East Amherst area outside of Buffalo. Um, there was there is a program in the town called the Green Print Program, which was preserving open space in general, but also included farmland. So we thought that the community was like-minded too. So it's a right-to-farm community, but they're also setting aside land to be preserved as farms. So we thought, you know, that kind of meshed well with what we wanted to accomplish. Yeah, that Green Print Program is pretty interesting. So apparently, uh, in in two thousand two, the town passed uh, a bond issue for $12.5 million to go towards preserving open space and egg being a big component of that. I think it's it's really exciting. You know, I, I, from what I've read, it seems like they're still kind of taking proposals for different projects and, and doing a lot of great work, and that's through the Western New York Land Conservancy. Now, you guys men- you mentioned the right-to-farm community. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. It's... Um, it's- Basically, it's preserving the rights of farmers um, on land and in communities where um, development pressure is moving in, and it it basically gives the farmer the right to continue to farm. Um, example is like driving your tractor on the road between um, fields or spreading manure. Um, in a lot of situations where the neighbors that might not be used to that kind of situation might actually complain or try to get laws passed to make a farmer's life even harder than it is. And the right-to-farm law basically says that the farmer has certain rights um, preserved that will never change. Yeah, so I, I think it's probably an interesting point where your your urban planning degree comes in handy where you look at like what are the rules and policies that cities or municipalities set up that make certain activities like farming easier or harder so it's it's nice to be in a community that recognizes that um western new york more generally i mean what what is what do farms out in that area look like i mean i have a i have a sense that they're larger than farms on the east side of the state but is it a different type i mean is there Orchards primarily, livestock? I mean, how do you guys kind of fit into the mix? Um, well, it is, uh, this area has a tremendous agricultural history. I mean, and like you said, it, it's very diverse. So as you get closer to the Great Lakes, there's lots of orchards and, and fruit growing. 
And then um, in the area that we're in, predominantly there's a lot of very large truck farms um, raising vegetables on a very large scale. And then as you move away from um, into the interior of the state, there's a, a lot of large dairy farms, very large dairy farms. Emphasize very large. Yeah, and, um, and it's always interesting um, for us when we get in a situation where we meet new or, um, farmers in the area for us to try to explain that, like, this year we're using, we're utilizing seven acres, and that's a lot for us, what we do in our second year, and they, they, they speak in the thousands of acres. They'll say, oh, we're, use, we're, we're doing 7,000 acres instead of seven acres. So it's always interesting to, to see the range of farming and different kinds of agriculture, and um, so it's exciting to try to explain how we can make a living on seven acres or, or, and, that, and that kind of thing. So when you guys set up your your farm, um, how did you know? How did you go about kind of planning the layout? And can you talk a little bit about um, you know what you guys are producing? Sure. Well, we're um, very fortunate to uh, have met our uh, landowner. Um, we actually were leasing land from him um, this this uh, this past year and this year, and. Um, it's it's very it's good ground. Um, it's been in the agriculture for a long time, and it's uh, an open, very open area. Um, and we set up we grow all mixed vegetables, so we have uh, a rotation that we use. And we grow melons too, as well as uh, herbs and and cut flowers. So we lease a portion of the landowner's farm. He's also um, a retired farmer. Uh, so he's still farming a, a few acres, um, and the land we're actually on, <laughs> mentioning the green print program, has uh, already been kind of sectioned off. It used to be a 150-acre piece, and 125 of it has already been sold to a developer, and it looks like they're going to start developing probably within the next five years. And the next piece of land over is um, is the land that we're on. Um, so, there, you know, there is significant pressure too. So how is that? I mean, as far as you guys are uh, on a, a year-to-year lease or how does like having kind of that, uh, that, that pressure change, you know, decision, decision, decisions you're making with regards to kind of building up the soil or investing in other farm infrastructure? I mean, do you expect to stay on that piece of land or are you on the lookout for something um, else? Oh, it's absolutely a huge part of what we do. We talk about every day, um, just because of the, the gentleman that we lease from, his history, um, he is really short-term, um, we do short-term leases. So it's a year-to-year lease right now, and um, we are absolutely looking for land. Uh, every day we look for another situation which, uh, with a longer term because it dictates so much about what we do on the farm, like you said, with soil health and um, trying to build soil. And farming is a, a lifetime uh, occupation and um, not having that security of long term is hard. Um, but without this gentleman's help, we would not have um, started our business and and have the uh, customers that we have. And um, we're very confident that we'll be um, either staying where we are for a little while longer or moving to a longer term situation uh, next year. So things are going pretty well. That's great. We are going to jump to a quick break and then we will tuck in a little bit more about what's happening at the Root Down Farm with Steve and Aaron. 
Music Direct Tech on the Heritage Radio Network. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West Alright, we are back uh, coming to you live, you're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we are on the line with Steve and Aaron of The Root Down Farm talking about their CSA farm up in the greater Buffalo area. So I want to talk a little bit about the CSA. I mean, you guys moved to the area. You had your first season last year. Um, how did you kind of get 50 people to sign up to 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 a CSA share from farmers who were brand new to the area and had never farmed kind of on that plot of land. Um, that seems like a, a big undertaking. Yeah, well, speaking back to the gentleman that we, we land from, he had um, a farm stand built on the property. It was grandfathered into the area because the zoning laws have changed since he first built it. And his daughter actually kind of started building up the business. So there was an established, when I say farm stand there, she sold a lot of antiques. She had a bakery. Um, she would source uh, other local vegetables before we got there. Um, and so it was really easy. She had a sign out front, and we literally painted, join our, you know, join Root Down Farm CSA on this huge sign since it's, it's um, a road, the road that the farm is on is literally off, just off of uh, one of the busiest roads in the entire area. Um, so a lot of traffic drove by. Um, we had pamphlets in the farm stand, and we have our website. And people literally found us. And I think last year, um, maybe by the middle of May, we had a little over 50 people. So we, we shut the CSA just because we wanted to make sure that... <laughs> We could handle 50 and that we knew what we were doing. So it was our first time on, on, you know, growing anything on that particular piece of land. Um, And then just, I'm guessing through word of mouth, through the farm stand, um, uh, word of us just spread because by the end of last year, we had 80 people on a wait list. Oh, wow. Good problem. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, by this year, we we were full by February. Um, and we actually jumped to 110 instead of, we were going to double to 100 and went to 110 <laughs> just 
as we thought we could. <laughs> you know, pushing the envelope a little bit. So did you have any kind of big successes or kind of uh, big failures in that first year where, you know, you kind of thought something was going to grow really well and it didn't or you weren't expecting much and it really boomed? I mean, anything that kind of stands out from the, the vegetable or, or the cut flowers or any of the production? Yeah, well, and I'm sure everybody remembers the spring last year. I I was really nervous um, that all of a sudden nothing was going to come up because it was so wet. And the, the particular piece of land that we are on um, in the town of Clarence, it's, it's low-lying land. And I do believe that that's part of the reason why there aren't other CSAs in the area we are in because the soil doesn't drain as well as other areas outside of where we are. Um, and we, for many reasons, we decided to come here. One of them was that, you know, the population was here. Um, but at, after we got through that first spring, we had some weird-looking carrots. We had... Um, potatoes rot in the ground, we had spinach wash away, we had carrots, other carrots wash away, um, but finally, once that dry spell hit, things definitely took off, um, and we were surprised by a lot of the things that did do well. It's amazing you remember all the stuff that went wrong and you can't remember anything that went right. <laughs> <laughs> but we ended up having a very abundant share um, you know, the first couple shares were, were were smaller than we had liked. And, and even, like I said, you know, we had some weird-looking carrots, so there was some quality things that I wasn't very, or we both weren't very happy with in the beginning. Um, but, yeah, after we got past that, after that spring and the effects of it, it was hard to explain to people that, yes, at the end of June and July, we're still feeling the effects of what happened, you know, months beforehand. Sure. And what what are you thinking about this year? It's been such a wonky weather year for... For every, you know, for everyone. So, anything that you're anticipating or seeing already? Yeah, we're trying to be patient. To be honest, um, a couple weeks ago we had that such great weather. Uh, you know, we had the urge to get ahead of ourselves. I think a little bit, and um, and then even now we're talking about putting stuff in the ground. And then we look at our plants, and it says, "Oh, don't put that in the ground for another week." So we're trying to stay patient. We're excited that um, it's drier than it was last year. Um, I don't know if we have, it's probably because we went through kind of a hard spring last year. Um, I know that we're both just confident that we'll be able to um, adjust to whatever comes our way this year instead of worrying about whether or not we're going to make the right decision about something. Yeah, and that's one thing that um, working on those previous farms really helped. I, I feel like we fell back on, uh, on that ex- those experiences a lot last year and had to draw from them a lot. And do you have, I mean, have you developed other kind of resources or mentors in the area? I mean, how does that work when you're, when you run into a problem or you're seeing something that's a little outside of your experience? Do you turn to a book, the internet, a person? I mean, how do you um, kind of self-educate now that you're on your own? Yeah, um, well, first of all, I'll say that we're both, I, well, I know I'm very lucky that Aaron is with me because we... We work together really well, and we bounce a lot of ideas, and we're always there to help each other work through a problem. We always joke that together we're one good farmer. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but then as far as absolutely the Internet, um, books, um, and then, uh, you know, former employees of, uh, employers of ours um, are always, uh, always ready to help us email and phone calls. 
And then there's another great um, CSA farm in the area. It's um, Promised Land CSA at Olds Farm, and um, they've been helpful for us as far as, like, uh, resource, resources in the area because not being from the area, not knowing where to get seed, um, cover crop seed or tractor parts or and those kind of things. So, yeah, there's definitely a good network of farmers out here that have helped us. And then also, uh, the, you know, the man that we lease land from, He's been farming on that land since he was five years old, he tells us. So he knows the history of everything that's gone on on that particular piece, but also, you know, the resources that he's used his whole life, too. Granted, it tends to be for larger equipment, but... I think one of the one of the other interesting things about finding, um, you know, new land as, as a new farmer is... Um, finding housing too, um, you know, housing that is either on the land you're farming or nearby. Was that an issue for you guys at all? Uh, absolutely. We we basically were ready to start our own farm, and we're done working on on the previous farm, but didn't have any land yet. So we knew we wanted to be around this area and got an apartment, and we're hoping that we would find land near. It. And luckily, it worked out. There's a little bit of a well, it's like about a 10-minute drive to the farm, which adds up after a while. But um, it's absolutely a problem to find housing near um, leased land or in, in those kind of situations. I think that, I mean, oh, go ahead, Erin. Sorry. Housing prices around here are, are, you know, kind of high. And then on top of that, finding a place to, to rent, so apartments or, you know, whatever was, was difficult to even find. So I think we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, being in a urban location, you just kind of imagine that you find a farm and it comes with, you know, a house and, and a barn and a, and a shed and, and kind of everything is right there. And, and I know that's not really the on the ground uh, reality. So it's interesting kind of how people, you know, make it work in, within those constraints. I mean, what about equipment? I mean, what is it that you guys needed to invest in? I mean, you mentioned uh, looking for tractor parts, but are there other pieces of machinery or um, storage space or things that are kind of integral to your operation? Absolutely. And again, we're very lucky with the situation we found um, where Ken has been farming all his life. So he has um, barns and buildings, and um, we are lucky that he also has um, larger tractors um, for primary tillage and those kind of things. Um, it's Aaron and I actually, before we um, found land to grow on, we bought an old Alice Chalmers G cultivating tractor that um, we had both used on previous farms that we worked on, and we knew that that was going to be part of our um, system. Um, we found a very old junked one that we actually converted to run on electric power, so because um, the engine would no longer work, <laughs> but... Uh, that's another story. Um, so, yeah, we're lucky that we are where we are, where he has uh, a lot of equipment that we're able to modify to work on our scale. And then um, this being our second year, we, we've uh, invested quite a bit in, in equipment that's our own size. So uh, we're making the move to having our own equipment. And the equipment that is our own size is actually quite difficult to find out here. So you got to keep your eye open for a long time because generally a, a, a lot of the equipment out here is, is way larger than we would ever want or need. 
And I think that touches on one of those issues about kind of farming infrastructure and how an area develops, you know, like what resources are out and about. And if you're going to have to spend, you know, a day or two driving to get a part for the tractor or even to look at a piece of equipment that you might be considering buying, you know, those things add up over time, which is is why it's always so interesting to me kind of how different uh, agricultural communities grow and there really seems like there really needs to be this kind of symbiotic relationship between producers you know kind of the tide rises and falls equally for everyone uh, on some level yeah um so you guys do a winter share as well is that correct yes we do and what so what it what is that comprised of well, um, it's actually when I was working at Food Bank Farm, um, my boss did it at, um, as well. It was $100 um, for 100 pounds of food. And so generally it changes year to year, but it's obviously, you know, a lot of root vegetables. Um, this past year it was carrots, beets, parsnips, um, a bunch of different storage radishes, included uh, potatoes and sweet potatoes and celeriac. Um, and then it had butternut squash, kale, what am I, else am I forgetting? <laughs> but it all, it all adds up for uh, up to 100 pounds. And, yeah, like I said, it's for $100. And it's a great idea. It's, it, we didn't have any cold storage um, to store an abundant, uh, abundance of vegetables. So that was a great solution, we thought, to come up with. And um, with the share, we also included storage tips as to how to keep the vegetables. And we actually got a huge response. We also had a waiting list for the, the winter share. So we thought we've also um, more than doubled that for this year. Wow, that's great. Well, it sounds like you guys have fallen into a nice niche up there. And if people want to learn more about you, they can visit your website, www.therootdownfarm.com. You have a great little blog on there, some wonderful pictures. And, you know, I guess it's too late for... For shares this year, but maybe people can get on the the wait list for next year if you're up in the Western New York region. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Stephen Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, tune into the Farm Report next week. We'll be talking with the chefs from Marcellus a little bit more on fracking in New York State. So stay tuned. One o'clock every Thursday, Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.